0: What we desire and what we think the most about is how can we decentralize our food production. Hi, I'm Matt McKee and welcome to Cherry Bomb, the podcast, a series of conversations
1: with people about food, art, and sustainability. Today I'm speaking over Zoom with Kayla and Eric Gibson, the owners of Sugar Butte Farm in Lowell, Ohio, self-described former everything farmers who are dropping everything to change the health of our soil, our family, and our community. Eric and Kayla, thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yes, thanks
2: for having us.
0: And you guys are out in Ohio. That's correct. We're in a small town outside of Marietta, Ohio. It's called Lowell, and you have to say it like that, or else if you say Lowell, that everyone's really yeah, we get upset ridiculed. about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have a Lowell out here, too, and it, yeah. yes, uh, there, there are specific ways Massachusetts people say they're towns, so, yeah. to be sure. <laughs> you said in your bio that you were former everything-but-farmers. What do you mean by that?
2: I went to school to become a teacher. And that really didn't happen because I fell into a sales position straight out of college. And through college, the way I made money was cheerleading. I taught cheerleading camps. I did choreography. I worked with teams. I coached. And I went straight into the sales world through a cheerleading company. And that's actually how we met. Oh, my
1: gosh. Okay.
0: I actually have a dual major. I'm a network administrator and a software engineer. I did that for a while, more or less being in a cubicle. I kind of called it a closet, so I'm stuck in this closet programming, and I didn't want to be there any longer, so I started a screen printing company. After I started that screen printing company, that was 17 years ago, then I got back involved in cheerleading again, because I did cheer in college. Then moving from that point, Cale and I met, yeah, the rest is history, becoming farmers.
1: (laughs) What caused the transition for me to go from cheerleading and sales to go into farming?
2: You know, we lived in a pretty fast-paced world. We were traveling a lot. We were going out of town and eating food that wasn't the most nutritious food. We weren't getting a lot of sleep. We just kind of felt like we lost touch with our health and how to take care of ourselves. And then one day, in a little bit of a fitness journey of mine, I started reading labels. And I started figuring out, what does this mean? And I tried to change our diet, but the further and further I dug, the further away I felt like I got from a nutritious diet and a healthy lifestyle, and we discovered ancestral eating. We discovered how we feel things should be farmed, and we created a totally different lifestyle for ourselves. We looked at things at one point as what is safe to eat rather than what is nutritious, and a lot of things are safe to eat that your body won't react to within a matter of minutes. Just because a granola bar is organic doesn't mean it's not full of organic Mm -hmm. sugar. Yeah. Um, so we went towards the more ancestral eating. Basically, we're agreeing with the fact that we need to eat all parts of an animal. We need to eat cooked vegetables. We need to eat things that grow from the ground. Yeah. So we went back to our roots.
1: Okay, literally. And then started a regenerative agricultural farm,
0: which sounds like a mouthful. I know farm, but uh, regenerative? So regenerative agriculture is, it's my new favorite buzzword. So we're doing pork and chicken. We are using grain that is completely grown here in Ohio, which is pretty cool. We are regenerating the soil. If I've got this correct, it's
1: more about paying attention to a traditional life cycle of plants and animals within an environment. But traditional is not really the right word for it because it's actually more of a historical natural life cycle where if humanity wasn't involved putting their fingerprint on it, per se, it would be that the animal would go in there and and forage and poop, and the next animal would come through, or the grass would grow, and then the next animal would come through, and so on and so forth. Exactly. Our
2: farming practices reflect the way an animal is built. So, for example, chickens don't thrive, and they're not healthy if they're sitting in a barn with zero sunlight. A lot of times you see on labels, vegetarian-fed chickens, and we're like, If you put them outside, you know what they're eating. They're eating (laughs) bugs and worms. And yes, they do eat grain, but they're also thriving off of the sunlight. So just as the human body needs sunlight and movement and proper nutrition to function, so does our meat. So we do our very best to replicate what they would be doing if humankind was not involved.
1: So it sounds like this is something that would take a lot more space than, say, the traditional quote-unquote factory farms that are happening right now. The land use situation, though, means that your technique for farming actually requires a lot more land than, say, the traditional factory farms that we always see on the news.
0: Well, the cool part about the regeneration process is that within six weeks, especially in the summer, because we mainly run all of our animals in the summer, that gives them an opportunity for that ground to regenerate. Then we can move them back on that ground in six weeks for a pig, for example. Mm-hmm. And we can do the same for a chicken as well. Wow.
1: Okay. I guess the big question, considering uh, how our human population is out in the world and our food needs, though,
0: is this model scalable? I think that what we desire and what we think the most about is how can we decentralize our food production. Okay, We see the end being a bunch of farmers as opposed to a bunch of big farms producing massive amounts of food. And then from there, it has to go to these massive processing plants. We saw what happened when one of them shuts down. One. When one shuts down, let alone two, yeah. three. Then we get into a food crisis. Yeah. That wasn't our main process. We were thinking about ourselves, kind of, when we, we were selfish about the whole process. But then we later got into it and we're like, this is maybe a calling, <laughs> so let's get into it.
1: Okay. When I was doing some homework last night, I thought that kind of sleeted through my brain and hit it brain cell was that The methodology that you're using, it sounds sort of the maker movement that was happening about 10 years ago, where everyone was getting back to making their own furniture and their own clothes and upcycling things. And it made it more custom. It made it more local, certainly. And it seemed like the makers who were involved in what they were doing were much more involved in what they were doing and therefore could tell a better story to the consumer who was buying it. It sounds like the same kind of thing is happening with your regenerative farm, where you are much more involved. In the life cycle, and it's not just, you know, the cow has a number on its ear or something like that.
2: Yes, absolutely. One of the things that we are hoping to do within our community is create more wholesome lifestyles. You know, we want to be figures in our community that grow food for others, but we want them to pick up our food from the farm or at one of our pickups or at the market and go home and cook. You know, that 30, 40-minute meal preparation is important for children, for family members to just be together, to put down the phones, to turn off the TV, and start cooking again. Start learning to yes. prepare a whole bird. And um, not only that, but sitting at a dinner table and appreciating what you have.
1: It sounds like something almost related to mental health at that point where you're making much more of a human connection.
2: Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Let's gather, let's cook, let's eat together. It's so important.
1: True. So how old is the farm, first of all? We're just now third season. Yeah. Third yeah. season. Okay, third season. All right. We're doing a lot, but it's third season. What is the next step? Is this something that you're going to franchise or create a school for?
0: We have to scale obviously. We have to make it through the winter. The issue we've been running into is that we run out of food so we don't grow enough in the summer. There's two reasons for that. One is we started the capital. Whatever capital we had is what we used and we tried to stop using our own money to fund the the farm. The other issue is is that we're ignorant. We do not know how much to grow. And as you you know, I mean, you grow a new customer, and that's like, I don't know, a customer maybe eats five, six chickens a year. Um, some people eat more, some people eat less, but we just don't know how much to grow. So I'll give you chickens, for example. It was 225 the first year, over 600 last year, and now we're at 1200 for this year. I don't know if we're gonna make it through the winter again, but we just about sold out of the first batch that we had, and we're just now getting another batch processed this coming week. Mm-hmm you can ship food. So I think our next step for scaling is doing that one-day ship where you can use ice packs. You can use insulated boxes and things like that. Mm -hmm. The deal is that there are people that do want this food. They just need to know where to find it. (laughs) We're just now learning how to put our product in front of people's faces. I mean, yeah, we did cheerleading and, and screen printing. Like screen printing, you just... Open your doors and people start running in it. You know, like it was pretty easy. (laughs) Niche food is not very easy to sell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The convenience factor of having to change your habits, I think, would make this a bit of a challenge. But at the same time, certainly, I think it's something we need to do. We talked about community a little bit and about how other farmers are out there who are also doing this. Is there a farming community? Somebody wants to learn more about how to do this or start it in their suburban backyard, starting the idea of it. Obviously, they can't bring cows in in a suburban setting like that. But I know I've heard down the street from me, and I'm in the suburbs of Boston, I heard a chicken. And it was kind of like, oh, that's different. I haven't heard that sound before. How would that affect your community?
0: Having more farms locally is actually the key. I doubt very many people are going to want to go to the level we're going to go. We went a little dramatic. You know, maybe it's a cheerleader in us, but we were a little dramatic about the whole process. We said, let's do it like beyond anything that we could ever imagine. But like you were saying... I don't want to compete with anybody. If they're interested and they want to do the labor, they want to move a set of meat chickens every single day. Like, I don't know if I mentioned that, but our meat chickens get moved every day to a new square of grass and tractors, if you will. Okay. But if you want to do that every day, it's not the most fun thing. You're going to get in shape real quick. You're get, you're, uh, <laughs> you have to be strong. You don't have to be strong. You will be strong after you're finished. So yeah, I think that more people need to do this. Yeah. As opposed to us shipping... Why can't more people do it, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So what does a day look like on your farm?
0: I wake up in the morning, first thing, and I'm, why am I doing this? I have a job. <laughs> I, <laughs> I get up and I slowly fill up the water buckets. Our pasture's across the street for this batch of chickens, so I have to fill up water buckets and carry them. And I feed and water them. Then I do the same thing with the layers. Our egg layers get moved every 250 pounds, which is right about six to seven days And I don't have to move them every day, so I want to move them in the evening so they don't get hit by cars. long story on that one, Mm. because there is a road here. Then after I feed and water them, then it's to the (laughs) pigs, which, you know, we just check on them, because the pigs have gigantic feeders, and they only moved, you know, every six to ten days. So after we get through that whole process, then I come back in, and Kayla usually has Mm. breakfast for me. If not, then I start doing my breakfast, which is breaking your fast, which is pretty cool. You work hard, break your fast.
1: Oh, this is before breakfast. You've already been doing all these things.
0: The animals are fed first. Okay. We want to get them away from their manure as fast as possible, for the meat chickens especially. Part of it's breaking that pathogen cycle as well, um, So, because we don't have pathogens and okay. we don't want them. Let's stay away from the bad bacteria, keep the good bacteria alive. So, yeah, all that's before breakfast. I forgot to mention that I do check the brooder. We have 240 baby chicks in the brooder, so I have to make sure they're fed. They're wild animals right now, so they pull the hair out on your legs oh, wow. every morning as I fill my feeders. So a little bit of pain there, but it's all good. Um, not too bad. <laughs> it's a real story. So then we oh go through gosh. that process and then the rest of the day is just either screen printing for the middle of the day for me. and Kayla helps intermittently. We also have a four year old, so she's a very, very intense mom. Uh, make sure that either he's either learning or he's playing outside. We're pretty serious about that. Okay. It's a pretty intense process to be a mom of a farm boy. Yeah, he's full-time, all the time, you name it. Wow. So that's our day. In
2: the afternoon, we probably have pigs to move.
1: (laughs) My gosh. So at the end of the day, you feel like you've accomplished a lot of things. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right between exhausted, like you don't have to worry about any kind of sleep medication. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, you just take a shower and pass out. (laughs) Then you get up the next morning and say, why? I have a job. Why am I doing this? Yeah, but it's cool. Yeah,
1: wow. The question I always end up with at about this point is, so you're sitting down at the end of the day and after a lot of labor projects, what's your comfort food?
2: I'm going to go first. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our slogan at the farm is beyond organic. Yeah. And I can't believe that I'm saying this publicly, but I love pie. I usually have a pie sitting around and we munch oh that gosh. down once in a while. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's a, it's a healthy wow. pie.
1: Any particular flavor?
2: Any. Any pie. Apple pie, a nut pie, whatever <laughs> yeah. I think of at the moment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but we should be a cherry pie because of cherry bomb.
2: Yeah, I need to do that. We should
0: do a cherry pie and call it a cherry
2: bomb. <laughs> yes. I never
0: thought about that till just now.
2: Wow.
1: Send me a picture. Please send me a picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: but also on top of that, a lot of times, because we're moving our bodies and I can't lie to you, we get hurt a lot and we basically force each other the end of the night to warm up some bone broth and drink it because our bodies are so important this time of year we cannot have an injury mm-hmm. i mean i don't know who would do anything uh, we, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just the two of us it's got to be two so okay. we do we do suck down some bone broth at night
0: okay for me the very end of the day is that we have a creamery locally it's called florence creamery they, they have milk until we get our goats to where we can milk them because mm-hmm. we prefer raw milk if I can get my hands on raw milk, then that's what I use. But the creamery, I have like a light cream that I naturally separate. I pour half of that with half a glass of milk. And that is like hydration along with a lot of fat because I'm a really half-fat diet person. That is my comfort food. It's almost like ice cream, but it's not. It's not sugary. Hmm, interesting.
1: It's a fascinating lifestyle to be sure. So you've been doing this for three seasons. If you could go back and talk to yourself three seasons ago and pass on one secret to yourself to make it, make your life easier or just something that's stressing you out, what would you do?
0: I know what I would do. I would buy some of the stuff that I tried to build <laughs> early on to try to save myself a little bit of money. I would have bought things like that that I wouldn't have had to replace. Okay. Time over money is something I'm trying to learn and You'd think I'd know better by now, but...
1: That seems like that's always the challenge of when do you throw money at something, and when do you decide instead build it yourself? Yeah. I've been on this earth for 55 years. I'll let you know when I figure that one <laughs> yeah, out. I'm
2: just, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm just yeah.
0: I'm kind of dumb about that, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everything in life is a lesson. I sincerely believe that.
0: <laughs> they say uh, experience is what you have once you don't need it. That's That's, that's a saying around here. Yeah.
1: That's a good one. What would you like your legacy to be?
0: We developed this plan, and we're sticking to it now. We learned this at a homesteaders okay. conference, and this lady had mentioned it in front of everybody, and I don't think it really stuck, but for us it stuck, and it's called a 200-year plan. So the 200-year plan is the idea that what we're doing right now is going to matter to our our son, and we hope that his children carry on the same legacy. It's kind of like you have to do something different and above average, and we feel like, hey, food is probably the best direction to go because it's an animal. We have a relationship with them, whether it's your cat or dog or whatever else. Uh, We have a relationship with them, and you can't deny that. So the next step is that cute, cuddly animal doesn't have to be the only animal that matters. Mm The animals that we eat, they can matter too. So that's kind of how we look at it. We want him to do the same thing. We want him to care like we care about what our future is because our generation and maybe our, I guess, our parents' generation, they have thrown a tax on their great-grandchildren because they now have to make up for the damage that we've done to the earth and now we have to change it. And that's our current belief. I hope I'm wrong honestly, I hope that I'm sitting mm-hmm. here making this up and lying to you. If I'm not, then we need to have a change. And we're yeah. hoping that the next generation does that. But there are a few of us in our age range that need to step up and do something a little different.
1: That sounds like a good legacy, building something for our future and fixing the problems of our
0: past. Wow. I feel like that we need to understand that with the animals, there is a very artistic process to what the animals are doing. And that involves everything from nature and how it grows and how it's choreographed because these animals move. They have this design. It's beautiful because they're designing themselves around the moon cycles, the sun temperatures, the plant growth. It's all a very artistic process. I try to make it scientific, but the more I get into this, the more I realize that there's an art section or an art category for what it means to raise an animal.
2: There are many times that the three of us will be out in one of the pastures, whether it's a pig pasture or a chicken pasture or with our goats, and we just stand there staring because we're watching. (laughs) And we're like, oh my gosh, 30 minutes just went by. We could have been doing something else. But look at this entertainment that is provided to our eyes. And look how beautiful these creatures truly are. Just watching them do what they're supposed to do. And there's something to be said for that. If any listener gets one thing out of this, I want it to be just go spend time with nature. Go look at it all. Because Mm. the art in nature, it's amazing. Absolutely. It will just put you stuck where you're standing. And you won't be able to get out of it for a little while. And that's pretty impressive. (laughs)
1: As always, thanks for checking in with Cherry Bomb the podcast, the companion piece to Sweet Blast, which can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. Share it on your Facebook feed and on Twitter if you can. Anything you can do to help us get the word out there will help us grow and make this podcast stronger. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, feel free to drop me a line at matt@mckeephotography.com. At Today's guests, Kayla and Eric Gibson, owners of Sugar Butte Farms in Lowell, Ohio. They can be found at SugarButeFarms.com. Cherry Bomb the podcast is produced by me with consulting help from Suzanne Schultz and Canvas Fine Arts. It's been edited by Bill Shamlion at Warb Audio. Thanks for listening, and let's start the conversation. Just a really quick note before your auto feed refreshes to the next episode in your queue. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe you picked up a new tip or a concept, there are a couple ways you can help us keep creating it. Click on the link at the bottom of the show notes for buymeacoffee.com slash McKee. Coffee is life around here. Also in the show notes is a link to theartofmattmckee.com where you can browse art from my Sweet Blast, Promethean Dreams, and Tools series of portfolios, as well as others. Get some art for that special someone in your life. And if that special someone is you, don't feel guilty. It should go without saying, you deserve nice things too. And last but certainly not least, share this episode with your friends on social media. Let them know you enjoyed it, and then you can start your own conversation. Thanks.